Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of the Best Boss Ever podcast series. I'm Carl Thomas, your host for the series, where every week we'll explore the best and the worst bosses, employees, relationships, leadership, management styles, what works, what doesn't, and why, and everything in between. Today we're talking with Reed Carr, founder and CEO of Red Door Interactive, without question the leading digital marketing agency here in San Diego and arguably one of the best in all of Southern California. RDI's clients include ASICs, Titleist, Sunbum, Bosch, Thermador, Chosen Foods, and many more national and global brands. Reed cut his teeth in the agency business with TBWA Shiat Day in Los Angeles before venturing out on his own and starting RDI uh, here in San Diego back in 2002, which now, after close to 20 years, supports over 100 full-time employees. Reed, welcome to the show, and thanks so much for being here. Oh, happy to be here. Great. Uh, the success of RDI sort of speaks for itself, but you know, you you were, let's just say, in in one of the leading agencies, not only nationally but globally, at TBWA Shy Day, and I'm guessing your your work there was worthy of you being able to stay and build an awesome career as as one of the leading execs. What? inspired you to sort of, if you will, jump off the cliff into the deep end of the pool and venture out on your own? Well, it's interesting. I mean, I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm a person who, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I always wanted to start a business or something like that. But that was definitely not me. That was not something um, that I I aspired to. I was happy to work for um, a top agency. But I didn't want to live in L.A. I wanted to live in San Diego. My, my family and wife and everything wanted to get out of, of that area and be in a place that um, is as exceptional as San Diego. So, uh, you know, we made the move here, but I still wanted to work for somewhere great. I looked around. I didn't see it. And I think through some combination of arrogance and ignorance, uh, decided that this was going to be uh, this. You know, I'd be able to do it and I just create that place. So, um, you know, I was just really looking for a place to work. And I knew, thankfully, I, I had that in me. Um, I, my dad was an entrepreneur. Um, I've seen it. So I think I, at least that was seated within me as an option. Uh, but it was not something that I really aspired to. So, um, you know, the whole thing is built on just being a great place that I wanted to work, but would do great work and, and things like that. So it wasn't necessarily a burning desire to, to sort of start your own shop. Uh, or do things way better, way different, um, thinking, you know, in cliche terms, out of the box necessarily. But really, it was kind of a necessity. You looked around, you didn't find what you were looking for, so you decided to be what you were looking for. Yeah, and, and I mean, that was the, the root of it. And then I think the, the next step there was, uh, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people that believes that you should just do what you know you should do. And I knew I should, you know, plan this. I, I wrote a business plan. I said, what's missing in the market? And, and thankfully, I think a lot of this stuff is, is luck. I think from the luck standpoint is I, you know, graduated at the right time. The web was just starting. Um, so I had as much experience at 25 as anyone did. 
Um, so at that point, started kind of looking at it from having come from a more you know, a traditional agency, having experience with the web and knowing what needed to happen from that standpoint, and then starting to wrap a business plan about, well, you know, where does this need to go? Where does advertising? And then I think we, as we've evolved into kind of the route from advertising into something far broader terms of marketing, how do we support the brands that we want to, I want to work on because having, you know, being excited about these big, complicated brands, uh, not too big, but, but big enough, um, you know, there was definitely a need. So I, I, it was important to me that we do things differently in order to become great. Super important for sure. Uh, so you're digital first in all things. Is that accurate? You know, so the, so, I would say it definitely, we're certainly data first and information first. Um, you know, I think that digital um, certainly comes in the you know, forward part of the strategy, just given where we are today um, in, the, in terms of the web. But it's interesting is that Red Door Interactive, the name, kind of keep, you have to think back to 2002 and what was happening. I think today, interactive, a lot of times people exchange that with the word digital. What it was meaning to you know, speak to when we, we named it was the idea that the, the shift was happening that went from this kind of unilateral broadcast version of marketing, which would say, as a brand, I can just tell you what I want to tell you. And you had no dialogue, no recourse or any of that. Because, I mean, Facebook had just started. I mean, like in the sense that we didn't even know it existed yet. Uh, Twitter wasn't around and a lot of the social media platforms were not yet around. There were some message boards and things like that. So the idea of interactive was kind of a statement on the idea that brands needed to start having a dialogue with customers. Uh, they need to have an, be engaged and be interactive, like, you know, <laughs> listen, respond and things like that. So I'd say rather than being digital first, though, that was, I think, the impetus or the reason why brands had to make that shift. What we're really about and um, kind of what is co what comes first for us is, you know, what's the conversation? You know, what do you what does the brand need to have with the client or the with uh, the brand need to have with the customer and vice versa? What does the customer want to have? as a conversation relationship with the brand. And so while tactically digital tends to kind of, you know, be the leading force in a dialogue uh, more than, uh, than broadcast, it's, I wouldn't say that's necessarily where we start. And I will say most of our strategies obviously do evolve um, and, and be fairly digitally forward. So messaging as compared to or different from a conversation, uh, one sort of begets the other. Yeah. Obviously, communicating the brand message or the brand architecture, brand attributes, et cetera, et cetera, which sort of you and I grew up with and yeah. one, that gives way to a conversation. And I recall a book written by Seth Godin, gosh, 20 plus years ago called Permission Marketing, yeah. which may be at the time was kind of the leading edge of this two-way conversation and how to engage consumers with a brand in a meaningful, relevant, authentic way. Now we toss those terms around like they're candy, these mm -hmm. days, but they they do have meaning. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're trying to humanize brands today, right? I mean, and brands, I think prior to, you know, 2000 was, was you know, a brand was this kind of uh, walled garden, so to speak, and, and you know, revered in some respects. Uh, but now those walls have certainly come down with, you know, exposure on the inside of the, how the employees are treating their, you know, vendors through supply chain, employees through, uh, you know, you know, 
you know, Glassdoor and LinkedIn and things like that. And then obviously how they're treating customers through ratings and reviews and then moving forward into, um, you know, any, any amount of news and stuff around, uh, you know, from a PR sensor around um, of executives and what they may be doing. So, I mean, I think now we're starting to recognize how much brands are human. And I think we appreciate when they're, uh, you know, use the word authentic a lot, but authentically themselves, like we know who they are. Um, they seem to be consistent. Um, and, and then at that point, as a, as a consumer, you know, we start to feel like it's somebody we could, we want to hang out with, so to speak, or, or certainly buy from them and have a relationship with them. So in the conversation, I'll use that term, that you have with brands from the early pitch process right on through up to and including clients that have been with you for years and years, how do they, from a brand perspective, because you and I both know that whether it's CMOs or director of brand or whatever, that's pretty much a revolving door. Credit to you for being able to keep clients on a long-term basis as actually the client personnel change. So clearly something is resonating at that core conversational level or messaging level or humanistic level uh, from a brand. How do you how do you meet that challenge? Because I, I'm sure it happens to you virtually every day. Yeah, I mean, I think, <clears throat> you know, obviously we have our customers, clients, and we have to market to them on an ongoing basis. So we, in a lot of respects, eat our own dog food to make sure that what we're doing, uh, we, have, we have a, strong relationship with the client and we do understand where they're going and we do understand their needs and adapt as a service provider to the needs that they have and be open and authentic about what's the right solution, what's the wrong solution uh, and, and, uh, and what things we should like, put, you know, push toward or away from or have them do in-house or not. So, I mean, everything foundational in terms of that, um, the duration that we have with clients is it starts founded with that relationship and then finding solutions that match up. So, you know, are we remaining objective? That's a big part and a reason why agencies exist and what they sell, I believe, is, is to provide objectivity. It is important for us to have a lot of different clients in a lot of different industries and in a lot of different conditions and states so that when we have any one of our clients coming to us with a question, a problem, whatever that may be, we're able to provide that outside their four walls perspective to say, you know what, hey, maybe we look at it a different way or, hey, there's some stuff that works over here that might work for you. We need to be a competitive advantage for our clients. So as long as we have a strong relationship and understand what's going on within the organization um, and we're satisfying needs as they, uh, as they come up and then ultimately providing objective, strong recommendations that move their business in the right directions based on what they're trying to accomplish, that creates that longevity. And I think in some level, the idea of it is all quite simple and the you know, execution of that is where complexity is. And it's just how do you as an organization long-term operationalize that? And I think we've done a particularly good job of that. Well, you have done a particularly good job of that. I've had the pleasure of knowing you for the better part of a dozen years. And have always looked fondly at, at the work, not only at the creative work that, that RDI has done, but the continual strength of a very diverse client base. And to your point, that diversity of client base al allows for a much broader, deeper uh, analytical conversation with a particular brand at a particular time. So from a leadership perspective, 
Um, I guess we're going to move into our current world right now. Yeah. Uh, you've been downtown San Diego pretty much the whole time. Yeah. Uh, Pre-COVID, just pre-COVID, you, you bought a building in, in kind of a neighborhood ready for, if you will, gentrification or upgrade or, or let's just say a new state of cool. And I want to hear a little bit about that because sort of the window in which you had planned to operate kind of got tweaked, obviously, as the entire, as the entire industrial complex got tweaked over the last six months. Uh, help us understand not only why you're going there and what you hope to accomplish when you're there, but then, then dive a little deeper into this sort of forced remote slash virtual workforce we're all dealing right. with. Right. Yeah, I mean, first off, I do want to make sure that we recognize that the place is already where we're headed. So it's the, the historic neighborhood of Sherman Heights, and, it, and it's already cool. And we're going there because there, we believe and see it as an opportunity for us to be part of that community. I think it will, that community will absolutely transform. I'd love to be part of that, but I want to make sure that whatever we do um, is, a pro, you know, is, is reflects the community, uh, its history, and, and certainly um, magnifies that as, as we go forward because it's such a, it's such, in such a special place. So we're, like you said, we've been in downtown San Diego since 2002, since the, you know, we opened our doors right, you know, a few blocks away from the, the site of where Petco Park emerged. Um, so we took a, a little bit of a risk in the sense that it was still in lawsuits and things like that. But I mean, thankfully, the lawsuits lifted and they, and they finished construction a few years, few years later. It's been an interesting process because, I mean, I think, it, again, being kind of the, as naive as I was when we first moved in there, you know, I thought it would transform overnight. And, and truly, I think at this point, it, it, it is just now transformed. I mean, there's aspects of it that obviously transformed earlier, but I mean, it really is. I mean, there's still cranes and still buildings happening and it's, it's become a very vibrant and exciting area, but I also see it as kind of like it's, it's, it's becoming what it is going to be uh, for a while. And I think what we saw here is like when we first opened our doors, uh, yeah, part of the rationale of moving in there's, you know, we understand we're marketing and, and we need people to know who we are and, and we need to do, you know, leading edge things that get noticed. And so one of the things we were looking for was an opportunity to have a conversation to say like, you know, Hey, we're moving into a place that things are happening and we're at the epicenter of that. Um, and we saw it coming and, and, and we took that gamble and that risk, but we knew it was going to happen. And, and we were one, right. But two is er, those early days. It gave us something to talk about when you would talk to a client say, Hey, we're downtown. They're like, Oh my God, what's that like? Because it was transforming and it was, it gave us that opportunity window to open or, or door to open up with any, any one prospect that we were talking to. And so I think <clears throat> that gives us the opportunity now to, to put Sherman Heights, the, you know, this historic neighborhood of Sherman Heights on the map in a similar way of how many people I today say, hey, we're going into Sherman Heights. They're like, where? What is that? And I get to talk about this kind of really cool neighborhood that's on the top of a hill that overlooks downtown, um, that is wonderful proximity to some really kind of, it's a gateway to some really cool places like Golden Hill and South Park. I mean, it's right by, I think, an um, underrepresented jewel of our town of the of Balboa Park. Um, we can walk over there. You, you can go into downtown. And so we've got this, what I feel like is an epicenter of things that for us, 
we have so many different personalities in our in our office. We've got our creatives. We have our DevOps team. We've got people who focus on um, on social and search and all these. So we have in a, this this very interesting. Um, uh, eclectic group of people who have different uh, needs and desires and so we're, we have this new neighbor, this neighborhood has great freeway access to the people who have a family and live in the suburbs they've got people who can bike there from South Park and people who can you know a scooter or bike there from downtown so I think what we're working to is like being in the center of downtown we are very downtown centric and where we're moving to gives us I think um, appeals to just many more personalities and that's what we're all about is making sure that we've got the diversity and you know <laughs> now that obviously the, the diversity equity inclusion belonging we've got a place where we're trying to create a sense of belonging to this neighborhood belonging within the area we've got three buildings we're turning into a campus style environment with indoor out many outdoor meeting spaces um and things like that which talk about to kind of segue into the other part of that question around COVID is like, you know, how do we, I mean, this is a great place for San Diego. Take advantage of what is San Diego is these outdoor spaces you can use most of the year and they're very comfortable. You know, a, a few minor adjustments, adding some heaters, uh, making sure there's shade so we can kind of maintain that, the, you know, make the temperate environment that we want to have in those spaces. And then always embracing the flexibility that we've we've always had from a technology standpoint be able to work from home or in an office but also flexibility in the case of in the office going to where you need to get work done so different styles of meeting rooms that have you know high top type collaboration like hop up and go write something on a whiteboard type space to more formal spaces to more lounging spaces and then everyone still has a personal home of where they keep their stuff and their pictures and their snacks and, and stuff like that to make sure that we've got an appealing place for people to convene so that you're not just this idea of, you know, we work together, but the idea that we're, we're a team together. And I think that that's one of the major things that needs to happen is a team has to have a place. I mean, in sports, you got your home field and we just, I mean, I don't, I, from a future standpoint, I think you need a home field um, and it's not a co-working space. It's not, um, you know, everyone at home and meeting at a Starbucks. I want a place that, you know, it's like, particularly when you're pitching business or you're having a big meeting where you're trying to, you know, get a, a client to decide that, yes, that's the right solution is let's do those things on, you know, in our stadium. That is, that is, you know, so well said because that, that place, uh, the, the, the spirit of place, the culture of place, the look, feel, ambiance of, of place. And it's enhanced and improved when you get collaborative types all together because then, then what emerges is a certain pride in the place. Yep. So, so share with us how excited or not are, are, are your teammates about the move? Oh, they're so excited. Um, you know, we've done everything we can to involve them in the process. We've always done that with any of our moves, which we've done through our growth several times. This has been more challenging to make that work um, because normally you do have it up in an environment and you're able to walk around and point to things or show kind of this is what we're going for. And right now, given the fact that we've tried to design most of this in, you know, <laughs> in this vir totally virtual workplace, that's been a challenge. But we've done a lot to make sure that people feel included, have been able to contribute their input and feedback, um, and, and 
you know, perpetually feeling like people are very excited and want to get back to a place that's our own. That's awesome to hear. Uh, so many uh, companies out there today, you hear about permanent work remotely, right. remotely through the end of the year, where, you know, all kinds of reasons why, and, and what I've, you know, sort of called excuses why. It's yeah. super refreshing to hear you as the leader and founder and CEO to be all in on the place, the home field, and ultimately, yep. and obviously, uh, a safe and and responsible way, get your crew back together on a much more regular basis as this COVID fog lifts. Which yeah, I mean, think yeah. think about this. I mean, this is what you know we're using. Like, I would laugh about this. Take this back again, back to the idea of sports, right? I mean, one, we all know from a sports standpoint, ninety nine percent of their fans never show up in the stadium. Right. They're watching it on TV or whatever. So we're completely virtual, but you still have stadiums. Imagine a team to say, you know, raise their hand and go, no, you know what? I don't I don't need a stadium. I don't need a city. I'll just play in other people's stadiums. It's cool. You know, like, like, do you think I think you probably end up I don't care who you have on your team. It'd be a probably pretty challenging environment to have a winning record. There's no question that that formula is a formula for degradation over time and it would go way faster than anyone would would predict yep so you and i have worked together from a mentoring perspective for the last 10 or so years with sdsi i know why i do it and you and yep. i have, have actually been co-guests on at least one podcast where we sort of shared our collective perspective on there but spend just yep. a minute on san diego sports innovators the, the role they play in the community and the role you've played as a as a mentor for the SDSI organization. Yeah, I mean, as an organization, SDSI, um, you know, they're out there helping, you know, startup brands or helping large brands that are in the active sports and active lifestyle industry emerge um, and have a place to convene, collaborate, uh, to grow, to catalyze. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where particularly where we are, I mean, it's a critical part of our community, but I think globally, it's a critical part of life that sports and active and active life. And we realize what it contributes to uh, people on a personal level. And so you just have, you have to have an inspired companies who want to do these things and, and have that part of their life or have that part of their job. Um, you need to have an environment in which people help, help you succeed. And so, um, that idea of helping others succeed. I mean, I, I think part of my code or DNA or value system, whatever that may be, is really to be helpful. Um, certainly there's a lot of stuff I just can't, you can't do for others, but you certainly can do what you can to help. Um, and I felt like as, as I've been able to grow in my career and, and have the resources that we now have, you know, it's, it's, you know, partly responsibility to feel to be helpful and do what I can. And on another level, it's, it's engaging, it's fun. It's, you see new things, you meet new people. And I'm always inspired when I come away from any of that by seeing this kind of the energy from an entrepreneur with an, an idea that they'd love to catalyze. And then a table of, of mentors and other successful folks who go like, man, I'm, I'm here to help. And to have, have people, you know, what you always have to have on the other side is, is people who are willing to be coachable, um, who know they don't know it all and are there, you know, kind of hat in hand saying, look, I need a little bit of help to kind of see my vision from one place to another. It doesn't mean they're not 
confident. And in fact, I think a lot of respects, if you're willing to accept help, it means you're quite confident, but that you also know that you don't know everything. And so you, when you put that kind of collection of people who want to be helpful, who are humble, who know they know, uh, know it all, but are willing to collaborate as a team to help others be successful and, and, and help a community be successful, it's just a special place. Um, and that's a place I just, I want to hang out. I want to be there. And that's, that's, I think, a root of why I'm there. Well, I, I agree with that. It's where we met and how we developed the friendship that we have. And I appreciated all of it. And, uh, you know, I look forward to hanging out with, with, uh, you know, when we can too, actually man. go to Me too. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got a couple of, uh, of segments here uh, in the last few minutes. Uh, so, so I ask every guest, because we all learn from successes and, and failures, Share with us, Reed, uh, maybe the favorite mistake that you've made and what you learned from it. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny to call anything a favorite mistake, but uh, but certainly one that I think I've learned. A, there's a lot of learning that came from a moment. So, you know, I think one I, one I always stands in the back of my mind is I remember having a, um, a longtime employee who was, uh, I think she was with us probably a good six years or so, an absolute rock star, doing great work. And I, to kind of skip to some part of the end of this, in her exit interview had said that I at some point had made an off the cuff comment about, you know, there, we were pitching a piece of business um, or, or I should say an increase in part of a business. It was for an existing client and she busted her ass to do this work, to, to do the presentation. And, you know, somebody had asked in my company of what, you know, as in, I was present to this said, you know, hey, how did it go? And I just made the off-the-cuff comment of, uh, well, we'll see if we get it. If we get the business, we'll see how it went. To a degree, I'm sure there's an aspect of truth. I don't remember saying it, uh, but that was in the exit interview. And what, sh what I recognized, so all the learnings that came from this time was one is she didn't feel appreciated for the effort. And I think there's a lot of people who go out there and say, well, you know, don't mistake effort for results and stuff like that. But for a lot of people, they want their effort to be appreciated. And I think the other thing I learned, too, is we can't control, like, you know, why a client decides, you know, to go with us on something or, you know, decide to, you know, any number of decisions that are made. These are complicated things. And it isn't for lack of effort. It isn't lack of, maybe it was absolute right solution. It was done perfectly, but we weren't, you know, wasn't, you know, I don't know, it was the wrong day. There's any number of reasons why stuff like that couldn't happen. So in any case, so that was the second part of that I learned from, from that experience uh, was to recognize that, hey, you know, like when people put that effort forward, I want to make sure one of the things that I do differently today is recognize the effort. I celebrate that effort before we know the result because if, and I will do so only authentically. If I didn't think we put our best work in, I would obviously say that as well. But the, the part of that is like, look, hey, I think we did a fantastic job. You did a lot. I know you did a lot of work here. I know that the result of this, you know, is dependent on a lot of different factors. So you should be proud of what you did. And then the third kind of part of this is to recognize how I show up each day, recognize that the words that I say matter. Some of those off the cuff, like, you know, things that I may say, um, you know, it, it means something to people as a, as a leader of the organization. So I need to be thoughtful about what I, you know, what I say, how I bring myself to work and recognize that my sentiment um, has an impact on others. So 
and all this like moment that happened in like, you know, again, I have no recollection of it happening. It has been one of the most important things I feel for my career because I do, I believe all those things. I believe that I, I, I do appreciate the hard work that people put in. I know that this stuff is complicated and we don't always know why things go one way or another. I, you know, and, and all that other, you know, the stuff around our, our how I present myself. So, I mean, that's probably one of the, the ones that always comes about. I mean, it comes up um, in the back of my mind at least every week. So important when leading people that they believe in leadership and, and they know that they're trusted and that they know they'll be told the truth, good, good bad, or ugly. And yep. The awesome thing about what you just said is you actually changed from that experience. And I would wager a pretty large bet that you've become a much better leader because of that. Oh, for sure. Well, the good news is, too, that I've talked to that former employee who's probably 10 years gone at this point and on to an amazing career in a lot of other places. Or, um, but, you know, I talked to her a couple weeks ago. So <laughs> we're, we're still friends. It wasn't like that bad. And so I think to some degree, um, you know, I think it's, it's been a, you know, I, I certainly didn't want to lose her at the time, but, uh, but the same token is I think it's the, the result of the learnings has been more important. Right. Well, one of the things you mentioned in, in that explanation was words matter. Yep. So do you have a favorite word that you sort of, you know, is part of your DNA, part of your ethos, part of your, your lexicon and leadership style? Yeah, I mean, supportive. I mean, I think that, you know, how, what I always talk about is our culture, if we were to distill our culture into an, its essence, so we have our core values, inspire, share, evolve, exceed, 100% jerk free, which is, I see 100%, it's very memorable for people. But, you know, I always say that there's, if you were to really distill it down to one thing is, you know, you're, it's a helpful and supportive culture. And, you know, if you kind of keep two things in mind, you're largely living our, our, our values, which is if you need help, ask for help. And if, you, if someone asks for help, give help. And, and I would say that kind of codifies what probably what's probably more in my heart on a day-to-day -day basis is, you know, am I being supportive? Am I being helpful? Because a big part of it is to get out of, our, get out of myself and to recognize what is it that the individual wants. Um, out of out of life, out of their career, out of uh, this particular transaction, and how can I be supportive of that? And and I think if I do that with our clients, to recognize like maybe sometimes certain things that we would like to do we're not a fit for uh, because they like this is the result they need, and I don't know if we can do that. I mean, how do I maintain this authenticity of support and helpfulness to make sure that at every transaction? you know, I, I'm being, I'm a facilitator of, of, of those things. And at that point, I do think it certainly pays itself back. I mean, I don't think it's completely altruistic to a degree, but I think that um, it just builds better relationships and I think we get better results. Well, that's patently obvious and, and underscored by the quality work that you've consistently done leading an agency of, of over a hundred folks and growing. So last little bit here, uh, one of my favorite topics uh, and genres is female singer-songwriters, female artists, female-led bands. I want to hear your favorite one and why. <laughs> it's funny. So I would say there's, there's, it's really hard for me to pick two out of, from two, which is I love Halsey. Just I love her voice. I love, you know, I love 
the, her music, all that. I, but I also love Pink and I love her subject matter, her confidence. I think on kind of both have similar qualities in many ways. And I think, um, yeah, I don't need to go into it. I just, I think that they're, I think they're special. Two awesome artists. Uh, Reed, you've been very informative and candid and, and transparent, which is, which is why we've, I think, had such a great relationship over the years. I want to thank you so much for being a part of this. You take care of yourself and good luck with the move next spring. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Take care. Have a good one. Thanks to everyone listening. Bye now. Bye. Thanks for listening, everybody. There's more to come every week, so please subscribe and rate us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Pandora, and many others. Also visit our website at thebestbossever.com, where you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn, as well as find more compelling content. Until next week, remember, words matter.